I appreciate singing Make Me a Servant, and I hope as we go through our study this morning that we will continue to have that prayer in our heart, and we will seek the best way that we possibly can to be a servant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, our subject takes the form of a question. This question is designed to cause us to look inwardly, not outwardly. And that question is, who do I work for? Our opening verse that we want to consider is from the Sermon on the Mount. I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount a lot lately, and the last lesson we brought to you was words of Christ from the Sermon on the Mount, and we want to do something similar this morning from another teaching that Christ gave to us in that wonderful sermon. He said in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Christ gives us a very clear, absolute statement. He says you cannot serve two masters. He is giving us teaching about split allegiance and the fact that we cannot do that. I think it's a general teaching in any way that we want to take it. If we're going to be a servant, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, then we have to be focused on Him and we have to follow Him only. We have God here that's fully righteous. Over here we have Satan, mammon, or self that's unrighteous. And Christ said we can't bring the two of those together and balance and serve both of them. And he says this in a very emphatic way. And yet oftentimes, one of our greatest challenges as disciples of Christ, we want to hold hands with both sides. Christ said you'll either love this one and hate this one, or you'll love this one and hate this one. You'll despise this one, You'll hold to this one, or you'll hold to this one and despise this one. You see, there's no middle ground when it comes to being employed. We're employed by a single employer. If we are truly a disciple of Christ, and that will be our God and our Savior. Christ is alluding to the master-servant relationship. And a similar concept for us is our relationships as employer and employee. And we think about working for two employers that are going in different directions, that have different objectives, and how that difficult and impossible it would be for us to work for two entities in that situation. And certainly we can understand that when it comes to serving God. We have choices in our life. We can work for either God or Satan, God or mammon, or God or self. When we work for self, by default, we work for Satan. You know, Christ said that we need to deny self, take up the cross, and follow him daily. That is our calling as a disciple of Christ. Without that, we cannot be a true disciple. The specific context here is serving God and mammon. The definition of mammon is 
that that becomes a God to us, wealth that is regarded as a false object of worship. So Christ not only is talking about in a general sense, we have to follow only one master, but he's being more specific about it and he's teaching about covetousness. And this morning we're going to cover both ideas. Who employs us? Who are we working for? When it comes to general activities in our life and more specifically when it comes to our money. You see, Christ is saying we can serve God or we can serve money, mammon. You know, Christ experienced this very temptation himself. If you look back to Matthew 4, verses 8 to 10, Satan came to Christ, and he offered him all the kingdoms of this earth and everything that went along with that. How did Christ respond to that? Did he fall to that temptation and Look at serving more than one master, more than his father in heaven. Of course, he did not do that. He said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Make me a servant of God and of no other. Paul described covetousness as idolatry. Colossians 3 verse 5, making a God out of money. Covetousness is defined as craving or obsessing possessions or wealth or something in, in this life that's a part of this world. We can serve this world and what it has to offer, thinking of all the kingdoms of the earth and all the wealth, but Christ turned that down and he said, I will worship the Lord God only and him only shall I serve. Paul said, let not covetousness be once named among you. Ephesians 5 verse 3. He tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10. And he says, many have been pierced through because of their love of money and where it takes them in, in this life. And I want to share with you today, brothers and sisters, we live in a materialistic society. Money is made the most important object among those in the world because Satan lures that temptation and our flesh will seek to fall to that temptation. And that's why Christ gave us these words. We cannot serve two masters. It's impossible. We cannot serve God and mammon. Christ said in Luke twelve fifteen, Take heed and beware of covetousness. This morning, our objective is so that we will beware of these temptations of Satan and our tendencies to follow our flesh and follow the things in the world. Even when we have an intention to follow after God, to be a servant of God, Satan has the power to distract us and move us away from the goals that we have as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So who do I work for? Do you know the, the term work is used some 63 times in the New Testament? The term labor, 24 times. The term uh, serve is used uh, 29 times. There's a body of teaching, of lessons in God's Word that addresses our work and who we should be working for. 
Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58. Here's a context where the term work and labor are both used. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want us to notice this center phrase of this sentence, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Does always mean every once in a while or periodically? That term does not mean that. It means continuously. The word abounding, does that mean to do an adequate amount? It's not what that word means. It means to overflow, to do more than enough. So we see the teaching and the admonition is to continuously abound in the work of the Lord. The work of who? Remember, we have choices to make. Are we going to serve God? Are we going to be employed by God or by Satan, mammon, or self? We have that choice, and we must make a choice to serve the Lord if we want to have a home in heaven after this life is over. The Lord's work is the greatest work that we can do. It's the only eternal work. It's not a work that will be empty or vain, but it will bring us rewards in this life as well as ensure that we spend eternity with God in heaven. We should count it a blessing and an opportunity to have the ability to be counted as God's child and to be a worker in his vineyard. How can we determine for whom we work? Is there a way to be sure? We said Satan deceives us. Satan can cause us to veer off course, to be separated from God. So how do we know? The answer to that is given in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate? This word reprobates means castaway, one that's separated from God. Remember, Paul is talking to disciples of Christ, people that need to know if they're serving God or serving something else. And he tells us how to know. Examine yourself. We mentioned the, the question, the subject, who do I work for? We need to be looking internally. It's our tendency to look around us and see what other people are doing and compare ourselves with others. But Paul said this is not wise. We are wise to look inwardly and to take the things that we see, to make an honest assessment of those things, and to determine if we're serving God or mammon. Notice these words in this verse, yourselves, whether ye prove your own selves, know your own selves, in you, except ye, all of these words pointing inward, so today as we look at a self-evaluation of whom we're serving and try to answer this question, who am I working for? I hope we won't look at someone in our family or 
someone in our, the family of God or a neighbor or a friend, but I hope that we will examine ourselves. If we will do this, we can be benefited to look at our life and identify areas, as was stated in the prayer, where that we can make adjustments and to be sure that we are performing the duties of a disciple of Christ. We can look to Hebrews 4 verses 12 to 13 and we can see the standard whereby we need to make this examination. Here we find, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A powerful guide, a powerful mirror that we can see in small detail and determine how we measure up to God's will. Notice verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, we are practiced in giving lip service, in saying the right thing. And a lot of times we can fool others by the words that we say, we may even convince ourselves, but we're not going to fool God. Sometimes there's a dislink between what we say in our service to God and how we live our lives. And that's the blindness that will cause us to lose, to be a reprobate before God. If we are saying one thing and doing something else, then that is called hypocrisy, and Christ condemns that over and over in Scripture. But if we repeat this lip service to the degree that we begin to believe it and practice it, then we'll be like the ones that Christ addressed in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. I want you to carefully consider this with me this morning. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We need to serve Christ and God with our lips, but our service cannot stop there. It takes more than giving lip service. We must do the will of the Father which is in heaven. This is the criteria whereby we receive the blessings of God as his children. But verse 22 talks about a group of people that were giving lip service to God. They were doing many wonderful things according to their own perspective. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? They were giving lip service to God and then they were following their own pathway. They were employed by themselves. They were serving self. They were trying to attach God to that with their lip service and in their perspective, they were doing great things, many wonderful works. And notice at the very start of this verse, Christ said many will do this. There's going to be many that give God lip service, but do not truly become his servant. In verse 23, 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Can you imagine living your life thinking that you're approved of God and these things, these works and these activities that you're doing, you think they're good works? Works that God's going to approve. And then you stand before Jesus on the day of judgment. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Did Christ in reality say that they were doing good works? How did their good works become iniquity? Do you see how that we can be blind and we can follow our own inclinations and we can find ourselves in a position to not be serving God at all we can open our eyes if we allow and we can see ourselves as God sees us you know we put these layers on and other people can't see through the layers that we want to put out here but God sees right to the very core we're naked before him He knows exactly what's in our heart. He knows what our motivations are. He knows what our intentions are. And he sees us for who we really are. And we have to be able to do the same thing. We have to see ourselves in reality to be able to make an evaluation of whether we're serving God or not. I want to use some lists this morning that are going to list a lot of different activities and we're going to try to categorize these to a degree. And these lists are not meant to be exhaustive lists, but we want to use these to get more specific about analyzing and making a self-examination. And I remind you that these things are for us. These things are between us and God. And we need to make the proper evaluation. Remember Christ said in Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Our lives are filled with activities of all different kinds, different natures. Christ gave us the criteria. He said, you put my kingdom first, and when you do that, everything else will fall into place. And so as we look at these evaluations for ourselves, let's keep this in mind. Who do we work for? We've got three different columns that are, are noted here. The first of these is on the left side, and it's going to talk about things that we do for God. We have some things on the right side that we do for ourselves. And there's going to be some overlap here. And remember, these lists are just there to represent what activities and these like kinds that we have in our life. There's no way we could have a complete list of everything that we do in life. When we come to the center column, we're going to notice the left, the right, and in the center we see some things that, you know, can go either way depending on how we approach these, what our motivation is, and how we uh, lend our heart to God. Remember, our heart is the key. Our affections must be toward God. 
Our priorities must be put in the right place. So we're going to do this exercise to see if we'll be successful in, in looking at ourselves, examining ourselves and how we stand before God. We're going to give a brief description of the activities in these columns and then we'll come back and go over some application of these points. At the left column, at the top, we see some things that are listed that we do publicly that Christ has asked us to do. Brian mentioned our purpose in being here this morning. It is to collectively worship God. Christ said that God is looking for those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. We're commanded in Hebrews 10 verse 25 not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Right now we're working, we're under the employment of God because we're here. He's asked us to be here. He wants us to worship Him. He's given us the activities within worship that He wants us to follow. He wants us to pray, to sing, to teach, to partake of the Lord's Supper. He wants us to contribute on the first day of the week. He's given us guidance about how we can worship Him in truth. The key is we're to worship Him in spirit. And again, that comes from the heart. That comes from our core. If we're doing that, then we're spending our time and effort and we're doing things that are under the employment of God. Below that, we have some other things listed that are done behind the scenes in conjunction with the church service. These are some things that are done in preparation so that we're able to come here and worship God when we spend our time and effort and talents and resources to accomplish these things, then we're under the employment of God. We have a couple of things listed in the third category under God that we do individually. These form the foundation of our relationship to God. We communicate with God. We listen to God through study of His Word. And we pray to God. We speak to Him. We communicate. We have to have a connection to God as individuals. We don't form that connection strictly in our public worship. We have to do these things daily in our life. God's asked us to do these things. We're commanded over and over and we're taught why these things are important. So when we spend our time and our effort, our resources to study, to pray to God, to meditate in His will, then we are working for God. Some things that we do in the arena of evangelism that are carrying out the will of the Father. Study with other Christians. Study with non-Christians. Set up studies for others. Invite people to church. Brian reminded us of our gospel meeting beginning in a couple of weeks. We have the opportunity to invite people to other, to church, others to church, to the assembly during that gospel meeting. When we put focus and time and effort and we strive to do things that are beneficial to God's kingdom, then we are under the employment of God. Here's a list of service things that are not necessarily a direct spiritual work, but these are things in which we become servants. Remember, we sang the words, make me a servant. This list could cover up 
three times the board and much more. But these represent the things that we do to serve other people. And because God has asked us to do these things, we're denying self, we're taking up his cross, his employment, and we're performing the things that he has asked us to do. In Galatians 6 verse 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want to ask you this morning, how do you define well-doing? What does that mean? We've heard this verse over and over. We need to not grow weary. We don't need to get tired. We don't need to faint. We need to keep doing those things that are good. We need to continue in well-doing. I would submit to you this morning that well-doing are these things that we have listed that God has asked us to do as his servants. And we're to make them a priority. We're to put these things first. Put other things as secondary activities in our life and put these things first. At the bottom of this list, we have some things that we do with our resources. And I want to call your attention back to Christ's statement, God or mammon. What are we doing with our money? You know, somebody says, well, now you've started meddling. I mean, what you've said so far, we can take his admonition, but it's my money. It's my business. I'll do with my money what I want to do with it. Is that being a servant to God? God gives us every resource that we have. We get to thinking that we're making this money, that it's ours, that we're responsible for it. The fact is God furnishes every bit of this, and he puts it under our care as stewards to use it in the right way. Here's the way that God wants us to use money. Again, not an exhaustive list, but these represent the basic categories of what God wants us to do with our resources. We need to provide for our family. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 tells us if we don't provide for our family, we're worse than an infidel. So as we work our occupations and do our jobs, we're doing that to provide those things that our family needs. In addition to that, we're taught to have financial stability if possible so that we can help others that are in need that are less fortunate. We need to provide through giving to the church and supporting the preaching of the gospel and the other things that the church does. This, these are the ways that if we're working in our occupation or on our employment to do these things, then we're working for God. Let's move to the right column. These are not things like lying, committing fornication, murder. You know, things are listed in God's Word. When we do them, we definitely are serving God. But these are things that are more or less neutral, things that we can add into our lives. At best, they might have an indirect good influence if we use them correctly. But the problem is we can allow these things to get out of their place and they become, to dom they become dominating our life. And all of a sudden, we're arranging things on the left around these things on the right rather than arranging the things on the right to make sure that we do those things that are a priority 
Look at some of these categories. Leisure. Things that we do. Just to rest. Entertainment. Watching TV, movies, playing games, playing a computer. Social media. We can spend hours and hours of time, whether we call it leisure or entertainment, whatever, however we want to categorize that, we can spend huge blocks of time serving ourselves. Hobbies and crafts. Again, I've listed a few things. If you don't find yours there, there may be a different one. What about sports? Whether we're watching sports for entertainment or involved directly in playing sports, what does the Bible say about these different types of bodily exercise? 1 Timothy 4, 8, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Can we recognize in our life that some things profit little and other things profit everything in this life and in the life that is to come? We're specifically, or Paul is specifically addressing bodily exercise here. But could we not take all of these things in this right side, this list, and could we not put every one of them and say these profit little when compared to what God has asked us to put as the primary things in our life? I believe that we can, and I believe that's the principle that we have to learn. We also have social events listed Things that we do with other people, friendships that we have in the community, so on and so forth. Vacations. Do we plan our vacations and our pleasure travel without regard for things on the left column, on this side? A lot of people live for their vacation, and they want to vacation away from God as well as their job. Is that being a servant? Is that being employed or working for God? What are the most important things to us? We're coming to the bottom of this right list. Here's again things that we do with our money, with our resources. What about luxuries? It's not wrong to have some nice things in life, but I mentioned our existence in a materialistic society and how much focus is put on this and how it rubs off on us and what our motivations become for the resources that we're seeking to achieve. Bigger and better toys. Some are consumed with having more things to have fun with, to be entertained with, to have, have this so-called fun in our life. Is it about accumulating all the money that we can so that one day we can sit down and do nothing? There's nothing wrong with planning and using wisely the resources that we have for retirement. But are we keeping these things in balance? Or do we allow... These things to take precedence over the important functions of the kingdom of God.
I want to be clear that these things on the right side are things that we do with other individuals a lot of times and with our families. There are benefits to these in that we can teach our families and kids lessons of life and we can have a good influence on people. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 that we can't live outside of this world. We have to live in this world. And we're not saying that we have to move to a commune and do only things that fall under what we would call spiritual things because that's not the teaching of God's Word. But at the same time, we are good at rationalizing and giving lip service to serving God when reality we're serving ourselves. And that's where Matthew 21 verse, or Matthew 7 verse 21 comes in. Are we telling ourselves that we're doing many wonderful works when the reality and the balance of our life is not indicative of working for God? Peter said, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. If we have discipline about things of a smaller degree of priority and we do not do those to excess, people are going to wonder what's wrong with us. They're not going to understand why we're not pursuing these things, having a good time and doing everything that makes us happy. They're going to look at us and they may even speak evil of us. Why aren't you doing these things? Peter said we need to be a peculiar people and we need to live our life as a servant of God, regardless of those that are around us in the world. And I believe there's a lesson in this for us. What about this center column? Especially our young people spend a lot of time and energy toward education. Is this God's work or our own work? What about our occupations? They're kind of the same thing. We spend the bulk of our time in some type of, as young people, in, in some type of education, and then we move into some kind of career or some kind of job. Our motivation for working and what we do with what we gain from working determines whether we're in the category of working for God or not, and we've already defined that. If we work for the things on the left side that God's asked us to do, then we're working for Him. If it's about the right side and we allow covetousness to get into our heart and we're doing these things for the wrong motivation, then we are serving self with these things. Luke 12, verse 15, Christ said again, And He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Bigger and better toys. You know, I win the prize if I've got the most things to have fun with. If I've got the most possessions. I win the prize if I've got the biggest bank account or the biggest in investment portfolio. Do you see how Christ tells us that that will never 
be something that brings us fulfillment. If this is why we're working, then we'll never be happy with the level that we reach because these things, these appetites cannot be satisfied. We have to determine how to have discipline in these areas and especially when it comes to material things. Christ continues on in this chapter and he tells a a parable about a farmer that wanted to take ease. He put all of the things that he could together because he he was looking for that time when he could just sit down and, and do nothing. The problem was the Lord called him that night. He didn't live long enough to utilize these things that he was putting up. He had the wrong motivation. He thought that his life did consist of abundance. We have another teaching about a rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22. A young man that came to Christ. He gave Christ lip service. He said, whatever you ask me to do, what do I need to do? And, and Christ mentioned the nine of the Ten Commandments. He said, oh, I've done all of those from my youth up. But then Christ told him he needed to sell all that he had and give to the poor. You know, that person turned and walked away from Christ, the Savior of the earth, the one that offers us all the blessings that we could ever enjoy in this life and the life to come. More importantly, those spiritual blessings of the life to come. He walked away from that because he did not have the right perspective on how to deal with things material. What about our homes? What about our vehicles? You know, we can be doing all that for status to serve our ego, or we can be using these things as tools so that we can accomplish what God has set us forth to accomplish. And the way we use them determines what our employment is, God or self. What about our resources in general? Again, as young men, as we're making our plans and working to provide for our family, we can get into this mode that I call empire building. You know, we can get focused on we're going to make something and we're going to build this and it's right for us to work and to work hard and to plan right to make financial goals. But it's pretty easy along the way somewhere to get mixed up for why are we doing this? What is our motivation behind it? And if we're not careful, we end up putting our time and effort and every waking thought on how we can build that empire and make all that money and be somebody. And all the while, the things that God has asked us to do, they get put on the back burner and on the back burner. And we say, you know, at whatever time I get to the point when I've got everything I need to take care of me and my family and everything else, then I'll, then I'll turn and I'll do these things for God. But you know what happens? We get blind to that and we keep doing that and we keep doing that and it's never enough. We never turn to God in a balanced way and give God those things that he's asked for. 
These are temptations that are real. These are things that happen to people that have good hearts and they want to serve God. But they're not honest about their motivation for what they're doing. Things that will take us away from God and cause us to lose our soul. What are we teaching our children? By the way, we're handling priorities in our life. Families with school-aged children can get overwhelmed with extracurricular activities. With all of the sports and all of the UIL activities and everything else, our kids get called in a lot of different directions. And pretty soon we're going here and there, and these things are not bad. They have their place. But again, we start fitting church around all of these other things we're doing. We start fitting study we start fitting all of the spiritual things around all of these activities that begin to dominate our life. And what are we teaching our kids about what's important? Are they going to grow up and put God first? Or are they going to grow up and think, we need to put all of these other things as a priority in our life? We need to have the discipline to say enough is enough. And if we can't, as adults, make right choices in these areas, then we're leaving the wrong influence for those around us and especially for our kids. Remember, they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess. People won't understand why you say no to some of these activities. And they may cold shoulder you and, and act tacky towards you, but... Again, we have to make choices that lead us to God. As we conclude these thoughts for this morning, I want to ask you a question. Where did Jesus Christ live? Which one of these columns was his life about? Christ is our ultimate example, and we're seeking to follow him in the way that he navigated through life. So we can answer that question for ourselves. And then the question is, where are we living our life? Christ at age 12 said, I must be about my father's business. Young people, where's our priorities? Are we interested in spiritual things and being about our father's business? That was Christ's mindset about these things. Older folks, adults, people that are making decisions day to day, where are we living our life? Here's a good way to, to figure that out. We know what a time card is. If we don't use one ourselves, we've seen people that use them. We go to work, we check in. It calculates how many hours we work for that pay period. And at the end of that pay period, we get a check based on putting our time in. What if we use the same principle to determine what we're doing in our life if we're honoring God as our master? I wonder what would happen at, at the end of a, a month or six months or a year if we calculated our time in each of these sections and we added it up at the bottom and got a total. And maybe this is even a harder question. What are we doing with our money? We know what a cash flow 
statement is. We know what a budget is, how we allocate certain amounts of resources to certain things. What if we did that with our resources and we added them up for a certain period of time and we calculated what the way God has asked us to use our money versus things that we want to do with our money. Can we be honest enough to look at these lists and come up with these totals here at the bottom and see who we're working for? Are we working for God? Are we truly prioritizing what He's asked us to do? Or are our allegiances elsewhere? You know, a good self-examination is not worthwhile unless we take what we see and use it to change. It's what James said here in this passage. He talks about the Word of God being a mirror and that we can look into that glass and we can see things. If we go our way and don't change them, then that look in the mirror has been worth, worthless. As we see things in our lives, we need to repent. We need to make adjustments. We need to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. It's time to be workers for the Lord now. As Christ said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. The lesson is yours this morning. I hope you will take this in the way that it's given, speaking the truth in love to warn us, to beware of things that can tempt us. This lesson has not been directed to any individual. It's directed to all of us to look inwardly. Not that we have a lot of problems, but when we look inwardly and make corrections, then God is honored in the things that we do. We want to offer an invitation this morning. This invitation is the invitation of Christ. It's always open for those that want to respond to those that would like to obey the gospel through confessing and being baptized. We can help you with that this morning. If there's someone here that would like the prayers of the church, we would ask one of either class to come forward and be seated on the front as we sing the song selected.